Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. I'm Dane Holmes, the head of human capital management of the firm, and I'm, it's my distinct pleasure to be joined here today by Hakeem Olusehi, who is a renowned astrophysicist. Uh, his work's resulted in 11 patents, 80 publications covering contributions to astrophysics, cosmology, semiconductor manufacturing, and my favorite, ion propulsion. Um, <laughs> so we're gonna try and understand what some of that means all right. today, all right? Well, I mean, we, we won't go too far off the range, but um, what we'd also like to do is understand your unlikely journey to Washington, D.C. and NASA. So let's talk this path. Okay. From inner cities, yes. some very violent, poverty-ridden inner cities, yes. to rural Mississippi, right? Yeah, yeah. To NASA, right? Without a rocket, <laughs> right? So how, how did it happen? Yeah, good question. Yeah. By accident, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. is the answer. Yeah. So my mother is from New Orleans, and um, she dropped out of school when she was 16 years old and was pregnant with my older sister. Okay. Right? And so when I was four years old, tragedy struck my mother's life. Her mother and her grandmother died, of whom she was close to, and uh, she divorced. My father and my mother divorced. And so we left the South, we left New Orleans when I was four years old, and I ended up moving every year from the age of four to the age of 13. So I ended up going to 10 schools by the time I was in the seventh grade, and never in the same state two years in a row. And so the communities that we lived in were like Watts, Los Angeles, um, New Orleans, the Ninth Ward, the area they call the Goose, yep. Houston, Third Ward, South Park, and you know what all these neighborhoods have in common, mm-hmm. so you might get shot, right? <laughs> exactly. So I would stay indoors and read a lot. Yeah. And um, you know, but at the same time, I was definitely drawn to the dark side. My two, uh, I was one of four males of, among my cousins in my, in my generation. The other three males were all members of the Crips gang, yeah. right? And these guys started robbing banks and the two oldest ones went to prison for about 20 years and uh, both got out at the beginning of this century. And um, one started robbing banks again and he's back in prison where he'll be for the rest of his life. And my other cousin, you never know he spent the day in prison, right? Yeah. Um, all of that being said, as a, as a consequence of these difficult neighborhoods, yeah. I got into reading, right? I, I really enjoyed reading. So when I was 10 years old, I decided that I was gonna read, we had a set of world book encyclopedias and I decided I was gonna read them from A to Z. And I discovered Albert Einstein and relativity, right? And so I was really into sci-fi as well as the natural world. And, but, but Einstein's relativity is like real fi. No, it's sci-real, not sci-fiction, right? right, right. And so I decided at the age of 10 that I'm gonna teach myself the mathematics of special relativity. Now, it's really easy for, you know, you hear relativity, you think it's difficult, right? General relativity is difficult. Special relativity, the time travel, all this stuff is really easy. So I, I never thought I was going to be sitting here and have somebody tell me that understanding time travel is easy. It is. Like, that's why I'm so excited yeah. to have an astrophysicist. It's going to be good. All right, all right. So it's, so, so it's easy. So then I'm, I'm teaching myself 
relativity. And then the thing that happens in the 80s when I'm in high school is personal computers come out. My girlfriend gets a Commodore 64K computer for Christmas. Okay. And it came with a book that taught you the programming language basic. Okay. So instead of hanging out with her, I went to the computer and I, and I started teaching myself basic. And I remember one of the first things I did is I wrote a um, for loop to make it uh, write my name like a thousand times. And okay. I thought it was so cool. Look, you know, yeah. I see my name going up. But eventually what happens is um, these professors come to my high school and they tell us about this thing called science fairs. And they tell us that we should, you know, maybe you guys should all participate. And I'm like, yeah, I know what I'll do. I'll program all the effects of special relativity, right? That was my idea. Not realizing that some kid in the woods of Mississippi in 1983 isn't really supposed to be doing that, right? right, right. And so I end up winning the first place in physics in the Mississippi State Science Fair. Yep. And um, that sort of was my first indication. The judges were just so amazed mm -hmm. that I knew this stuff. So you're yeah. sitting in Mississippi, you yeah. win it, you're like, yeah. I'm a scientist, go ahead and start calling me a rocket scientist yeah, if you yeah, want. Yeah. You get to Tougaloo, yeah. take me then to grad school. Okay, so, well first Tougaloo, right? So I get to, to, to Tougaloo College, now Tougaloo College had this, this distinguished history. It was, at that time, the, the number one producer of African-American doctors in the country, and it was the number one producer of African-American attorneys in the south of the country. Um, and, and, you know, it was serious business, yeah. right? So I get in there, and first week, the professor, I'm in a math class, goes to the board. He's talking and writing things on the board. And I look around the room, and all the students have paper out, and they're writing stuff. And I'm like, what the hell is going on in here? What is everybody writing? And how do they all know what to write and I don't, right? And, and what they were doing was taking notes and I had never really experienced lecture note taking, right? Yeah. So after a couple of years, I, I'm convinced that I'm not smart enough mm. and I drop out. And I drop out of Tougaloo College and the only job I can get is as a janitor at the Ramada Renaissance Hotel up the street from the university. So I'm there, I'm making $4 an hour, um, I'm trying to get as many hours as I can. I can't get many hours. I can only afford to pay for my apartment and gas in my car. Mm -hmm. So um, you know how when people um, order room service yeah. and when they're done with their tray, they sit it outside the door? Yeah. That's, those were my meals. I was eating people's leftovers to make it, right? And so anyway, what ends up happening is the bellhop got fired. And I think this is my big break because it's the bellhop. You can get $100 in tips in a day. So I apply for the bellhop position and guess what happened? I wasn't bellhop material, right? So you can imagine, like, you know, I'd held jobs, like, like my, my first job at Jackson was at Wendy's as a grillsman. They would never think of putting me on the cash register, right? Because as a young black dude looking the way I look, talk the way I talk, you're not the person they put out front. So I couldn't be the bellhop, right? And I think to myself, I can't go from janitor to bellhop? Yeah. I'm going back to college, right? And, um, Seems totally logical again. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I knew I had to solve this math problem. Mm -hmm. And I uh, decided I'm going to do every problem in the math book, in the calculus book, right? Me and, and this young woman would go every night and work these problems. Before doing that, the highest grade I'd gotten in a math class was a C. Okay. After doing that, the lowest grade I got in the math class was an A. So that's really when the passion came, though. That process of I'm going to take through the calculus book and do this problem, that's when it started to really... Well, you know, so, I mean, I was always competitive, yeah. right? I was always academically oriented. But, you know, my life story was, okay, high school is ending. I want to live indoors and eat. What do I do? All right, now I'm in college. I now see what's going to happen to me if I don't make it through this. Yeah. What do I do? Um, but the other thing that happened is, so my second, the, the semester before I dropped out of school, the summer before I dropped out of school, I was homeless that summer. 
okay? My first two summers in college, I was homeless. I didn't want to go be a burden on my mother. My mom literally lived in a trailer in the woods in Mississippi that was destroyed in Hurricane Katrina when an oak tree fell through it, right? But um, I wasn't going to go back and be a burden on my mother. Getting a job was so difficult, right? We're, you know, we were in a recession at that time. And so um, I would break into the dorm and sleep at night in the dorm. Right? And so I was on a bare mattress. So my classmate, when I graduated physics in 1991 from Tougaloo, there were two of us who graduated, me and a gentleman named Lorenzen Dunbar. You know, Lorenzen came and he woke me up this, this morning where I was in the dorm illegally. And he goes, hey man, the University of Georgia is on the phone. They need your social security number so your check can be ready when you get there. And I'm like, what? I had no idea what he was talking about, but I knew exactly what a check is. Yep. So <laughs> I went to the admissions office and called them. Yeah. And they confirmed what he said. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, let me go to the science building and ask my, my chemistry professor if he knows anything about this, a gentleman named Richard McGinnis. And I asked Dr. McGinnis, and he goes, oh, they accepted you. So what had happened is they got their grant for this summer research program late in the year and didn't have time to recruit. So they contacted professors they knew and asked for recommendations. He recommended me. They accepted me. And I say to him, I say, well, you know what, Professor McGinnis? It doesn't matter because I don't have a car and I don't have any money to get to Athens, Georgia. Yeah. And he said, well, go back and call and see how much a plane ticket costs to get from Jackson to Atlanta and then a Greyhound ticket from Atlanta to Athens. And then he bought my tickets, oh, wow. right, on my behalf. So then I get there. I'm, in, I'm at the University of Georgia and um, I go and I work for this guy named Michael Duncan in, in physical chemistry. And he tells me what my job is going to be and what the research is that they do in the group. And then he goes, and this, is, this for me was life-changing. He says, well, you're going to need a key to the building, so here's the key to the building. You're going to need to be able to get in the lab, so here's the key to the lab. You're going to need to be able to get in my office, so here's the key to the office. Now, the thing that was crazy to me about this was my life as an African-American guy in these ghettos and rooms, nobody ever gave me trust. Yeah, yeah. Nobody ever treated me with trust. And this guy just gave me the keys to the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was like blown away. Right. And then, you know, I'm showing up the next, that week at 8 a.m. And I don't know if you know how research goes, but graduate students don't typically show up at 8 a.m., right? They go home at 8 a.m., but <laughs> so uh, I asked this graduate student, I say, what time am I supposed to be here? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, time here? And he's like, well, you work when you want to work. You attend the meetings, but, you know, it's all about getting the job done. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, yeah. right? And that was it. I'm like, research is the life for me. So let's, let's make a switch for a second and yeah. turn to uh, cosmology, um, which, which was also around the time that you kind of a major discovery happened yeah. around this and the existence of dark energy. Right, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Give yeah. us, yeah. Bring us into your world for a second. Yeah, so dark matter and dark energy are both like amazing things. Everything that happens in our lives, other than being stuck to this planet, has to do with the electromagnetic interaction. Like, okay. like that's why this thing is stiff, you know, yeah. electron degeneracy stuff, and that's why you're not going through this chair. Okay. It, right? And so dark matter does not participate in the electromagnetic interaction. So how do I know you're there? Light is bouncing off of you, right? If I had infrared eyes, I'd see that you're emitting infrared light. Okay. Or if you pass in front of a light source, you'd yep. affect that light source. Yep. Dark matter doesn't do any of that. But gravitationally, it bends space-time. But also, 
you know, understand that what we would see, there's stuff, dark energy, bends space-time in the exact opposite way. It has negative energy. So it causes space-time to expand. Okay. Matter, like you, me, dark matter, causes space-time to contract. So we look at the motions of things the sizes of galaxies and larger. Yeah. Nothing moves according to the laws of physics at that point. Right? Uh, but if you add this dark matter stuff and you add this dark energy stuff, it now makes sense. But the thing about it is what we're seeing is a net effect. Imagine that you see an area where space is really curved positively, like normal attractive gravity, right? You'll say, oh, there's a bunch of positively curvy matter stuff there. But it may not be that. It may be that there's an excess of positively curvy matter stuff over negatively curvy matter stuff. And that is... You know what I mean? That is curvy groovy. No, I, 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 I give you a better example. I give you a better okay, example. Give me, give me one. All right, so when two particles encounter each other, they, they collide and bounce off, right? Okay. Two waves encounter each other, they add. Yes. Right? Okay, that I so imagine it. I have a, a wave, you know. Yeah. Oh, that's... Pass it. Uh, uh, all right, we got it. All right. So imagine... Now, see, now we're talking. Now, <laughs> but here's the thing. So imagine I have a wave on a string, right? It goes, and you see the wave traveling down the string, right, the hump. Imagine you sending the exact same wave in the opposite direction, right? Okay. You could end up with a flat string. Okay, I get it. And you can be like, oh, there's no wave on that string. But in fact, they could just be, there could be an infinite number of waves on that string, but they just exactly cancel each other out. So that's right. the two matters can come so in. So you can flat. see yeah. the net effect. So when we say, oh, there's dark matter, look at how space is positively curved, there could be way more stuff than we know of that's because we're only seeing the net effect. We're not seeing the individual effects. But the thing to know about dark matter is that it clumps gravitationally like normal matter does, mm -hmm. and it has positive gravity like normal matter does. Mm -hmm. Dark energy does not clump. It seems to be a property of space itself, and it has negative energy density, so it causes space to expand. So you don't see the effect of it until you have a whole lot of space on a scale of 100 million light years or so. Okay, yeah. I love it. All right, so we're gonna switch to something that I, I at least think I might be able to get my hands around. Space exploration and commercial space yes. exploration. Yes. What do you think about it? What do you think its future is? Yeah. Is this to you like the ultimate, like, God, yeah. I can't believe we're doing it? And, and maybe some insights you might have onto why do you think the move to kind of the private sector doing it, is it good, is it bad? How do you, yeah, how do you yeah, think about yeah. it? I think it's all good yeah. um, because really the private sector space is a private-public partnership. That's yeah. what people don't realize. Is yeah. Nothing is done without the, the, the public. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what's really happening also is other countries are getting in the game. Yeah. And if you see what India has been doing, right. they're, they're doing uh, space exploration at a fraction of the cost mm -hmm. and with, with much higher success rates, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, their recent Mars mission was run by three women, yeah. right? You know, which, which was a, a, amazing. Um, so I think that, you know, there is a place for the private sector and there's a place for the public. And, there, you know, there are certain things that aren't going to generate a profit. Right, yeah, there are certain yeah. exploration things that should be public. Yeah. Then there is there is the stuff that will generate a, a profit. Yeah. Just getting things in space. Right? Yeah. It's not anything to be taken for granted. And you know, the more you know, th there's different perspectives on whether or not we should be doing the space thing, yeah. whether or not we should be colonizing other planets. So on the one hand, you see that we have these periodic extinctions, or extinctions occur over and over. So hey, we need to hedge our bets and settle on another planet, right? right. But, you know, a, you know, Earth after a major impact may still be better than anywhere else, right? And so maybe the key is to have a big space station around Earth so you can go back and forth mm -hmm. in case this happens. 
Uh, but we know ultimately the earth isn't going to last, right? The sun is a little bigger every day. In a thousand, in a billion years, the earth isn't going to be inhabitable, right? right? Will humans last a billion years? Well, no other species that's macroscopic has, uh, but we would think we would like to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you definitely have to do this sort of thing yep. if that's what you're going to do. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, certain things we have on the surface of the planet by luck. Right. Because the earth was once molten, the heavy stuff sank to the center. Yeah. Right. The dense stuff sank to the center. So the reason why we have it on the surface is either volcanoes or it fell from the sky. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of riches locked in the core of the planet. But there are cores of previous planets and protoplanets floating out there. We call them asteroids. Mm -hmm. Right. And so they may uh, be very resource rich for us. Right. As well as the moon. So, you know, you know, it should be an all hands on deck. Yeah. Let's make it happen. We need energy. We need resources. Let's do this. Yeah. Is, it, is it interesting to you, or can you explain why it seems like around space there's been this willingness to collaborate, you know, kind of cross right. nation yeah. Yeah. Um, that sometimes doesn't feel as easy to organize in other areas? Yeah. Why, wow. why, why has that happened in science? What, well, science has been globalized from, you know, ancient you know, relatively ancient times. Yeah. Uh, there are few people that are doing any particular thing and to stay up on things, you need to cooperate and, yeah. and work together. And you know, the thing about humanity that really blows me away is the fact that if we were like, if we thought of ourselves as a planet-wide species yeah. and we were, we trusted each other and were trustworthy, we could be Star Trek tomorrow. Yeah. But because of various other forces that go on between between us, you know, we, we you know, we, don't optimize what we could potentially do. Yeah. Um, so I think we need an alien invasion to unite yeah. the planet. All right. So and then I'm we'll so reach glad our you potential. Because you know yeah. what I was sitting here a second ago literally thinking about? I yeah. was like, I mean, I didn't tell him I was going to ask this question, but I've yeah. been thinking yeah. about it lately. Have aliens visited the U.S.? What do you think? <laughs> U.S., the world, the Earth, what do you think? Maybe. Um, so here's my take on aliens. All so right. if anything is... <laughs> Human-like, you know it's bogus, right? So, like, like, what would humans do? Well, we'd build a ship, and we'd be about this size, and we'd do this thing. So here's what I think about aliens. So we've now looked around our galaxy, and we see the other planets, and we see the trends. So the first thing is, when you look at a a movie on other planets, what is one scene that's ubiquitous? Mm -hmm. Looking up at the sky. Mm -hmm. I now realize how bogus that is, Mm -hmm. right? We are so lucky on this planet because we have a substantial atmosphere that's onion skin thin so we can see through it. Mm-hmm. Where else does that happen, mm-hmm. right? Mars is the only closest thing we have, but Mars's atmosphere is not substantial, mm-hmm. right? You'd be dead on the surface of Mars. Radiation penetrates two meters or six feet under the ground there, yeah. and, and there's no magnetic field. Where you do see liquids, which is the necessity for life, um, if you have liquids, you have energy, you have radiation shielding, most of the time, it's not on the surface, right? The only body with surface liquids other than the Earth is Titan, yeah. right? Now, look, on Titan's surface, only 10% of the light that strikes the upper atmosphere makes it to the ground, sunlight. So they have, if you're a being on Titan, you have no idea that there are stars in the universe out there. Where do we find most oceans? Not on surfaces, but locked under miles of ice. There's up to eight bodies with substantial liquids in our solar system, but they're all locked under ice. So aliens, right? Mm-hmm. If they exist, they're locked under a thick atmosphere or kilometers and miles of ice. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know there's an outside universe there, right? And not only that, if they did exist in a planetary environment, but now we're learning that the moons are where it's really happening, right? Right, right. Um, What are they going to be like? What's the most common 
terrestrial planet we're finding is called a super Earth, right? They're much more massive than the Earth. So that means that if, if there are intelligent species living on the surface, number one, they're going to be short and they're going to be really strong. So it's going to be like little incredible hulks, you know, <laughs> running around. It's not going to be a long, skinny thing, right? Yeah. So it's going to be aquatic. So my thinking is that life is probably ubiquitous, but it's single-celled life. Like on Earth, for three billion years, it was all single-celled. Multicellular life is less than a billion years here on Earth, right? So single-celled life is probably everywhere. If there is multicellular life out there, it's probably locked under a thick atmosphere or kilometers of ice. So that means it'll be aquatic species like in Europa Report movie. Yeah. Um, so that narrows down the number of detectable um, intelligent, and you heard it here first, yeah. uh, species, right? They're not gonna be detectable for these reasons. Okay. And they won't even know there's a universe out there. Interesting. I my, that up my alien game, for sure. <laughs> Definitely. Um, Definitely. The whole idea that they're gonna come to your planet and invade, completely bogus. There's yeah. nothing you could get that's yeah. worth the trip. One thing I want to ask, that's to this point, so you're in the process of uh, writing your memoirs. Yes, yes. And it's come out that um, Chadwick Boseman's going to play you, so that, that... Well, he's the executive producer. Oh, he's a producer, okay. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Play. You haven't got him to play you, too? Well, it, it covers my young life. It's about me becoming <laughs> Oh, so me. it's younger, okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. So talk to us a little, talk to us a yeah. little bit about, about that and what your aspiration yeah. for what message that might send yeah, out to yeah. the world is with right. that. So all the way, all through my career, you know, once I got to Stanford University, I saw what I thought was a big injustice. I felt, I looked around at the people around me, and I said, you people aren't smarter than the people back in Mississippi. But, you know, there's a big difference in the educations, the opportunities, the access. And so I'm like, I'm going to end this. I'm going to do what I can to end this injustice. It should be for everybody. And it's what's in the best interest of our nation. Um, and so... I uh, started, you know, at school, you know, I, I ran programs for, at various levels, for undergraduates, I ran, you know, this thing called Partners for Academic Excellence, I ran programs for, for young women, I had women follow me, uh, shadow me and others, it was called Focus 2000s, I work on this program in Oakland called Back on Track 2, and I've, and I've done it in, in America, but then once I started showing up on television, you know, for some reason, when people work with me, they believe that they can do it too. Right, and they and they, they realize they can understand this stuff, and so I coined this phrase that people would what, what everybody was saying to me was, I thought I was dumb until I met you, right? And so, um, I I want this to give people their uh, that sense of knowing that anybody can do these sort of things. You don't have to be born into special circumstances of race, gender, money, whatever. Yeah. Uh, all you have to do is have the passion and um, get an education somehow. You have to be well-educated. Have you ever done a Let's do a lightning round. Okay, I don't know. So, I've, all right. So I've seen this, lightning. This is going to be, you've seen lightning. All right. Um, first question, favorite constellation? Oh, it's a little tiny one called Delphinus, the dolphin. So all cute. Right. All right. <laughs> the cute constellation. Uh, if you could meet any scientist, living or dead, who would it be? Albert Einstein. All right. Actor you'd most like to play you in the film? Well, it has to be someone <laughs> young. Let's see, so uh, what's the guy who played Killmonger? Ooh, Michael know. B. Jordan. Our oh, bodies look a lot very oh, similar. Oh, Killmonger in the thing. Um, oh, it's the abs. You want the abs to be yeah. correct, right? Right, yeah. yeah. My, I got like a 40-pack, eight rows of five. <laughs> yeah. It continues up my back as well. Yeah. It goes exactly. all the way around. I can like move over terrain. We should like share our workout notes because we got the Dude, same thing going. I'm telling you. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, Favorite place to travel? I really love Cape Town, South Africa. It's really amazing. 
and, and, a, and a jewel I discovered was Constantine, Algeria. Really? Exactly, right? But it's, it's amazing, I, and I had no idea. Last book you read. You know what, I just started uh, Stephen Hawking's new book, so I can't call that read, but the last one I read, I absolutely loved it. It was Sapiens by Yuval Harari. Yeah, yeah I love history, I love big history. I, yeah, that's that a great awesome. book. I could do this for hours. Thank you, really sir. appreciate it, thanks a lot. Thank this podcast was recorded on October 24th, 2018. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.